Well, I've selected today as our Christmas message, the greatest gift of all. So we're here today. It's 2021 AD. What's that mean? Our entire dating system of the entire world is based on the birth of Christ. Doesn't matter if you're Hindu or a Muslim or atheist. And I loved the, the two President Bushes and, and Ronald Reagan. I don't know if Donald Trump did it, but they would write out longhand every time they wrote a bill. They wouldn't say, you know, 1999. They would say 1,999 years of our Lord Jesus Christ on every document that came that was important. And, and it's amazing that they are letting the world know that the entire world, whether they know it or not, is hinged upon a history of mankind before the birth of Christ and now the history of man since Christ was born. You think about that. When we, the Iron Curtain fell and we went into the Soviet Union and they would say, help us. We're, you know, we, you know, atheism is the only logical conclusion as we look at the world. But we, we, want, we want to understand, though, you know, why would you believe in God? <laughs> and the question we'd get is, I know rape and murder and lying and stealing is wrong, but why? And, and to explain to them, because we all have been made in God's image. And that imprint is on everybody on the planet. Everybody has the same moral standard as you do. It's written in your heart. Nobody had to teach that to you because we're made in God's image. Well, okay, there's a God, but how do you know it's Jesus? And then to be able to explain him, what's the date today? <laughs> Why is that date? And it's interesting. I never ask a person in the Soviet Union that didn't know that answer. The entire dating system of the world is based on Jesus' birth. They would just tell me. Junior high kids, kids in communist, raised in communist countries, they knew. And I'm like, tell me another man that is from an obscure town in a little tiny country, never wrote a book, never traveled more than 90 miles from where he was born, was not a king, did not have an army, but he had a few thousand people at times listen to him, but usually it was a dozen people, maybe a little more that listened to him. And his effect was only three years on this planet. But yet now, the entire dating system of planet Earth points to him. It is a powerful fact when you really think about it. The book of Daniel tells us it's one of the things the Antichrist is going to undo, times and seasons. He wants to get Jesus erased, as we see communism and even the communism and socialism and progressivism in our own country wants to see Jesus and Christianity erased. And uh, they will succeed before the coming of the Lord, no doubt. But at this point, we do know. They, they've been saying, oh, it's not B.C., it's B.C.E., 
before the common era, after the common era. Ask them, what's the common era? They have no idea. But if they do give you one, there's 10 other answers, and they are fighting with each other. What was the common era that, that we reboot? I mean, so for, forget that Jesus was born and the dating system around him. We have a dating system that's split in two, going one point in time going backwards and another point in time going forwards. You, you have to say that at least happened. They can't deny that. Well, what happened at that time? They, they have no answers. Well, I want to mention in Isaiah 7.14, there was a King Ahaz who was basically an atheist agnostic, and, and, and Isaiah said, God wants to bless you, you wicked king. <laughs> he didn't say that to them, but you have an army right now getting ready to destroy you. And what is brings to repentance is God's loving kindness and tender mercies. God wants to show you that he is for Israel and he is for you. And that this nation, although they're bigger and greater and, and everything says you're going to be destroyed by them, God's not going to allow it to happen. And to comfort your heart, you can ask for a sign right now, anything, any miracle you want. Joshua had the sun stand still. You know, Gideon had, you know, the wet and dry on the dew. And the, even though the ground was, had dew over it, the, the fabric was dry and then vice versa. And he had, a, what, what's your sign? And Ahaz like, ah, oh, you done, Isaiah. Oh, yeah, no, you know, I, I don't want to bother God. I'm just a little peon. Go your way. And Isaiah said, it's one thing to weary men, but will you weary your God? God's going to give you a sign, and people like you, hard-hearted, apathetic, indifferent. And this is where we come to a very important verse in the Bible, Isaiah 7, 14. And therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The sign is a virgin giving birth. Now, in the Hebrew, that word can mean also young woman. But understand that the Greek Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, which was much more prolific, even in Christ's time, it is a specific word for a virgin. It cannot mean young woman. But of course, what's a miracle if a young woman has a baby? <gasps> We've never seen that before. You know, it's just common sense to look at context that there would be a virgin birth. Of course, this is alluded to in disguise back in Genesis 3 where God says that the woman's seed, the woman doesn't have a seed. But in this instance, it's from the woman's seed that would crush Satan's head. Or the serpent's head re representing Satan. Well, he goes on to say, I'm going to talk more about this child. And in, Jerem in Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7, one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. I'd love to read it. For unto us a child is born. Do we, do we hear that? Jesus wasn't born to be born. Jesus was born because it was the Father's gift to you. Unto us, 
we have a child being given to us. Unto us, a son is given. So we don't just have a child. We know who this child is. This child has been given to us from God. And it's a boy child, a male child. Now, who is this child that's been given to us? Who is this son that was born for us? Listen to this description. The government will be upon his shoulder. This is talking about the millennial reign that's yet to be coming very, very soon. And it says there that government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called, listen to this, Wonderful. Boy, I could just stop right there. Spurge and the Prince of P preachers had a sermon on this I listened to. Oh, I wanted to preach that sermon so bad, but I got a different one. But just wonderful. It just he's wonderful. You read the gospels and Jesus is wonderful. He's a counselor. He's mighty God. Remember, there's only one God. The Lord our God is one Lord. But yet he tells us that he's in three different persons. The same God is the, is the same substance, the same person. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's not a different nature. There's not a different person. There's not a different substance. And so this son is mighty God as the Father is mighty God, as the Spirit is mighty God. And then he's the everlasting Father. And this makes it sound like Jesus is the Father. Now, the, the better translation would be the one who birthed eternity. <laughs> he, he's the one that started eternity. He's the only eternal being there is. He's the Father of eternity. He fathered it. He's the Prince of Peace. Boy, do we need that today of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward, even forever, the, listen, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You people that are hard-hearted, that are apathetic, that are indifferent, it doesn't require your change of heart. It doesn't require your obedience. It doesn't require that you even believe. God is going to do this. God's a free-willed agent, and God can use his own free will, even though other people have free will. He can assert his own free will. No matter how apathetic, no matter how receiving, no matter how rejecting, no matter how angry, no matter how indifferent, it doesn't matter. I'm going to touch the line of history. And it's going to be an epicenter that's going to explode to the very ends of the beginning of time. And it's going to explode to the very future of the end, all the way into the past all the way into the future, this moment in time is the zeal of God, like a giant lightning bolt <laughs> is going to crash and that ripple is never going to cease. And I'm going to do it because I am God and I can do it. When was this moment in time fulfilled in the Partial, I mean, that Isaiah 9 expands all the way into eternity. Jesus for eternity 
will set upon the throne of David and the governments of all the world for all eternity will be under him. But at this time, he's simply the babe coming in the manger through the Virgin Mary. Where is this prophecy fulfilled? We find in Luke chapter 2. Let's hear the whole story today. In Luke 2 verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quinus was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. Now there were in the same country shepherds, living out in the fields, keeping watch over the by flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, a there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and babe lying in the manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known, they had widely known the sayings which was told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told by them, by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that had, they had heard and seen, and it was told. That's that story, 20 verses. The moment when planet Earth and all eternity would never, ever be the same. The second person of the Trinity the only begotten Son of God came into human flesh. According to man, he was 100% man. Now, if I could open up my flesh and show you my spirit, you would see my spirit was born in 1960, and my flesh was also born in 1960. They're the same age. But if Jesus could have opened his flesh and showed you the spirit, you would have been vaporized because you would have been beholding the eternal God and the finite can't grasp the infinite. 
The Father so loved us, he gave us his Son. Jesus so loved us, with joy he endured the cross and despised the shame. And after that agonizing torture and bearing all our sins and paying for the penalties of our sins, he then ascended once again to the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession for us, his children, his bride, his sheep, his friends, his church. He loves us. Why was Jesus given so we could be saved? Yeah, eventually that's true. But why in that moment of time did the Father put within the Virgin Mary this baby Jesus? Well, you know the verse. John 3.16, it tells us clearly in verse 17 as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, this verse could say, for God loves the world. That would be a lot, wouldn't it? Just to know God loves us. But that's not what it says, is it? It says, for God so loves the world. What's the difference? He is saying that it's just not a fact to be known, but because he loves us, he has to do something about loving us. He so loves us, he must do action. He must speak those words of love. He must show those words of love. He must do things to love us. His love for us is not in word only. I've lived long enough to know. Often when people tell you they love you, watch out, a knife's going to come in the back. I've sort of just said, don't love me, just be kind to me. That's it. That's it. I've got low expectations. It says Jesus put his life into no man's hands, for he knew what was in all men. I'm starting to understand that, and it's not good. But God so loved us, he wasn't going to talk about it. You know, when you read through the Gospels, Jesus never said, Peter, I love you, give me a hug. We don't, we don't ever have the words, I love you, spoken. But yet Jesus says, I've loved you. Now love one another as I loved you. He speaks of it in action, not in words. I've washed your feet, washed other people's feet. I was there when you were struggling and, and the power of presence and you were hungry or thirsty or in prison. I was there and I gave you water. I gave you food, even to the least of the brethren. I did. I, it's action. God so loves us. He has to show it over and over and over again. But get this. He gave his only begotten son. What does that mean? His only. 
something completely unique. There's never another like him. And this unique person was going to keep us from perishing. Jesus describes that there's more, Jesus speaks more on hell than any other person in the Bible. You see, Jesus didn't die on the cross for man who's already good to be gooder or better, a righteous man to be more righteous, or, you know, you'd probably do fine on your own, but to those handful of people that aren't going to do fine on their own, I'm there for them to catch the bottom 10% raunchy people, make sure everybody goes heaven. No. Without Christ, he said, I alone am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father. Nobody makes it through the pearly gates into heaven except through him. He alone is the single door. He's unique. God gave this son that we would not perish, but that on top of things, we would have eternal life. Now, again, if God just says, I love you, and I'm not going to let anybody go to hell, that's great. But that's not what he does, is it? In Christ, this gift, not only will you not be condemned by God righteously and rightly so, but he's going to give you eternal life with God himself in his heaven, with his glory, with this pain-free, sin-free, no demons, no devils, no anger. Everybody has the same spirit, the same love, the same kindness, the same goodness. And then he's going to give us a new heavens and what else? A new earth. You see, if we deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow Jesus and we lose our life in this world, guess what? (laughs) We're going to be on a brand new earth like Adam and Eve were. A brand new earth. And no serpent (laughs) will be showing up. He'll be in the, the pit. So God gave his son who was incredibly unique. Jesus, there was no one like this person. He's a person. He's a son. He's the only son. And he's begotten from the Father. God gave of his very soul, his very heart, his very essence. Really, God gave God, (laughs) right? God gave us the second person, God himself, and the second person of the Son. So let's understand, we we didn't get second best. We, We got the best of the best of the best. Nobody else could do it. You've got to be eternal to be able to give eternal if such a thing is possible. Right? A finite can't give eternal. I don't get to live forever, but I'm going to give it to you. You can't do that. So for somebody to give eternal, they've got to be eternal themselves, but then they've got to be powerful enough to give eternal to others. And so God gave this person this child, this son, who is eternal, and eternal life was flowing through him. And then he said, and I can give eternal life to whom I wish. 
because I'm eternal. But God can't lie. God can't be different than who he is. And, and God is righteous. You, you cannot have unrighteous people live for eternity in a righteous place without first making them righteous. We can't do it ourselves, right? One sin in the past is all it would have taken to disqualify us for an eternal heaven with God. Let me give you a couple of analogies. So if this guy who had done horrible things, let's say he had murdered a bunch of women and tortured them and had them for months, and they finally catch this serial killer and they take him to court. It's been a couple of years and he's sitting there in the court and the prosecutor gets up and talks about all the heinous things this guy did. The court's full of all the family members of these dead girls. And the judge just interrupts and says, hold it, hold it, hold it, stop, stop, stop. I don't want to hear this horrible story. There's one thing and only one thing you need to know about me. I'm love. And I'm a judge of love. And all that ever happens in my presence is love only. So, sir, I don't care what you've done. I just love you. You're free. Go. Walk the streets. All those family members are sitting there. Do they think that judge is a judge of love? <laughs> is it right what the judge is doing? Is it right that he's out on the streets? Is it a righteous act in the name of love? No, you see, God is love. And you cannot have love without judgment. And you can't be loving to others without judging the sin of the sinner. They can't exist. Do you understand? And, and so here's another analogy. I see this guy walking in the street and this truck is coming. And so I grab the guy next to me and I throw him into that guy who's getting ready to get hit by the truck. And that guy gets knocked out of the way, but the guy I threw gets smashed by the truck. Am I a hero? Woohoo, I saved a guy. <laughs> I'm a murderer, aren't I? So if God made an angel to pay for our sins, that would be evil of God. If God made another man to be the one that gets us out of condemnation, that would be evil of God. There's only one way this story can turn out, and that is if I willingly sacrifice my own safety and possibly get hit by that car, then I'm a hero, right? So this little three-year-old kid's in the road getting ready to hit by a car, and I run and push that little three-year-old out of the way, and I get hit. And if I die, that was a loving act, wasn't it? Do you see, there's only one way this can be that makes it loving, that makes it righteous, and that is if God himself pays for our sins. Now, let's just think about this a minute. Because in the spirit of the Antichrist, and definitely the spirit of the humanistic world today, they just want to say, as long as you're sincere, it doesn't matter 
You know, it's like a wheel of a bike and all the spokes. Whether you're a Hindu or a Muslim or a Mormon or a Catholic, all the, sp- all the spokes lead to the hub, which is God. Whichever path you take is equally as good. Is that true? Imagine, again, if I take my own son and I throw him into this guy and it knocks him out of the way and my son gets killed. Am I a hero or a murderer? (laughs) But if the son does it himself, but here's the catch. As soon as I see my son knock this three-year-old kid out of the way and he gets hit, the father of that three-year-old and other people standing around going, your son's such an idiot. That kid wasn't going to get hit. That guy was going to, he, he, he saved that guy and got killed for nothing. That, that, that kid never would have got hit. He would have been fine. Now, as a father, how would that make me feel? Do you understand? You're basically telling me my son is an idiot for dying, saving somebody else. So if there is another way, you see, Jesus in the garden said, Father, if there's any other way for this cup to pass, not my will, but thy will be done. And the stress of it, his blood vessels began to break in his body and he was hot and sweaty and the blood began to mingle with the sweat and drop to the ground. And rhetorically, the father answered him nothing. The answer was no, there is no other way. But in this other scenario where all roads are equal, Jesus raises from the dead after horrible torture on the cross and says, now there's a way in which men can be saved and have eternal life and not perish. And the father says, no, they're all good. They're all good. I, you know, there, there's actually, I can think right now of 600 different ways. But thanks, Jesus, for being 601. What would that make the father if his son had a son brutally tortured and died and it was unnecessary? I'm telling you, if there was one other way, man being good in himself, man having more good things than bad things, a man having a sincere heart. You see, the gospel is foolishness in any other way than the way it's presented. Any other way presented, the father becomes evil. Jesus becomes a doof. But if it's true, we are standing in the street of sure destruction unless something is done. You see, this is what the Bible tells us. In... Um, one second here. I have a three-hour sermon. I'm cutting down to half an hour here. There is no other way under heaven in which men can be saved. This is why God so loved the world. It demanded action. The world is everybody. That's, I love preaching the gospel. It's for everyone who will believe. And he gave this incredible gift of his own son. 
In Romans 10, 12 to 13, it says this. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do we get that? Whoever believes in him, the Bible in John says, whoever receives, whoever accepts, whoever asks, whoever even sees. In John chapter 3, this Pharisee who didn't want to come out in the open to say, I'm a believer of Jesus because he didn't want the blowback from the other Pharisees who hated Jesus. He hid the fact that he believed. But he comes to Jesus and said, I want eternal life. And Jesus says, you must be born again. And he said, I can't do it. My mother won't let me get back in her womb, even if I could fit. And he scolds him. He's like, I thought you were a teacher and you, you understood things in the spiritual realm. 100% of everybody on this planet was born here. The baby did nothing to come into this world. It was everybody else that produced this baby, but ultimately the baby came into the world by a miracle from God. The productive system, the re reproducing systems of the man and the woman, it's miraculous, it's, it's incredible that a baby can grow and come into existence through, in a mother's stomach. It's, it's amazing every single time. But the baby comes to this world because of the effort of others, not of himself. <laughs> so in the spiritual realm, everybody that makes it into heaven was birthed there, not of their own efforts, not of what they've done, but the efforts of others. And Jesus says, God gave you in the Old Testament a perfect example of this. Do you remember when the people were murmuring and the snakes that God had under the ground, he let that hand of protection come and the snakes came out, started biting people and they died. And they cried out saying, help us. And you were to get a pole. They had flags. All 12 tribes had a flagpole. Take one of the flagpoles, I think of Judah. And then take some bronze, that's the medal of judgment, and fashion a snake representing evil, sin, rebellion, the hard, wicked heart of man. And anybody who just looks at that bronze pole will be healed immediately. So the person who looked at the pole, did they have something to boast about? But I really look good. I looked both eyes. I, I, I ran. I had to go two miles to get close enough to see. No. No effort. Jesus says this is exactly how people are born again. Is they just look to Jesus on the cross. And the, they believe that God has given this provision that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God. That, that right there, moment I look and believe, receive, accept, thank God for that gift of his son to bear, to bear my sins and to be punished for all my sins, that I can go to heaven. 
You see, now when the Father welcomes us into heaven, it's righteous. Why are you here? Because your Son took all my sins and made me as white as snow and given me as a gift his righteousness. You see, it's righteous of God to do that now. Because all sins were paid for. The sins of the whole world were paid for. I love this as a believer. Next week, we're going to look at this, that all our past sins and our present sins and our future sins have all been paid for, which guarantees our success living on this earth for Christ. Um, in John three seventeen, for God did not send his son of the world to condemn the world, but what? That the world through him might be saved. Powerful stuff. The greatest gift of all. Taking away all our guilt and our sin of guilt. And we won't be condemned. We won't be perishing under the weight of our own wicked, selfish, self-seeking, lustful, greedy, angry, mean hearts. And God gives us the gift of eternal life. Do you understand that? If you show up to heaven and say, well, I'm, I'm here because I, you know, the last 10 years I did a lot of good works. Eh, you're gone. Everybody in heaven <coughs> received a gift, a Christmas gift, so to speak. And you interrupt that gift. Well, what is this? Well, look at it. All your sins are forgiven. Wow, that's a pretty great gift. And they're forgotten. They're buried in the deepest sea, scattered as far as the east as the west. Look at the next page. God will never condemn me, not now, not for the past, not, not as my struggles in the present, not in my failures and shortcomings and struggles in the future. But God has guaranteed me the gift that will never fade away, that's kept by the power of God. No matter what is done, not things on this earth, nor things in the spiritual realm will ever be able to take it away. Look at the next page. Oh, that's God's hand on my salvation. Yes, <laughs> he's got you in his hand. You shall never perish, but have eternal life. Look at the next page. Ah, oh, that's another hand. That's the Father's hand. He's greater than all. They both have you. And, and look at that. It's an everlasting hand. He'll never, ever let you go. But, but what if I sin? What if I struggle? What if I go through a deep, dark, difficult time? Yeah, that's why he, he's got to give you salvation. And that's why it takes God and all the power of an eternal being to give you eternal life. But once he gives you eternal life, you're eternal in that second. And you'll never stop being eternal. The moment he gives you the gift, this is something about the very nature of God. He does not change. The gifts and the calling of God irrevocable. What if I'm totally faithless? Well, 2 Timothy 2, he remains faithful. He can't deny himself. He'll 
shower you with more grace. Where your sin abounds, even more grace will come. Look at John 3, 18 here. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God. I, I, I try this again. John 3.18, then, then 3.36. 3.18. He who believes in him is what? Not condemned. But he who does not believe, he's condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In John 3.36 now, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. But he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So picture, if you would, a stream that's flowing. You know, because you've been downstream, there's this giant waterfall, 2,000 foot drop. And you go back and you tell people the at one current, it's a little fast. And you're going, hey, you've got about one minute and you're going to die. Get out of here. Here's a life raft. Ah, get away from me. He's dead. You go a little further downstream and you keep running. Maybe you get down to where the stream is really slow. And you say, you got to get out. This stream is a stream of death. If you don't get out of this stream, you will surely die. All men have been born into this world from our infancy before we could even speak words. Our sinful nature revealed itself. Mine, <laughs> you know, little kids, angry. I, I think all our kids ripped Cheryl's plants apart while they, before they could even walk. Destruction. That little sinful nature, yeah. We all have been born into that stream. And we are all going to die. God doesn't have to condemn you or judge you. You've already condemned yourself because you didn't receive the one way of eternal life, of, of salvation. But this is what we find. Why we were sinners. Why we were enemies. Why we were weak. We were laying in that river and we... I'm your enemy. I hate the person standing on the shore coming to tell me to come away. I'm so weak, I can't grab a hold of the rope. I'm without strength. And the guy on the shore says, look at me. All you gotta do is look and be saved. Tell me with your eyes that your heart is wanting me to take you out of that river, and I will. I love that thief on the cross. He was without strength. He was a sinner. He was an enemy of Jesus. A few minutes later, he was mocking Jesus, saying horrible things to him. But yet, when he has tied to that cross, he had no power, he had no strength. He was an enemy of Christ. Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. He'll be with us in heaven forever and ever. It's not by our works. It's a gift of God that we're saved. This great gift of God, there's no gift like it. I'm gonna finish up here with a couple of verses. In John 6, 40, and this is the will of him, the Father who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up on the last day. 
Isn't this exciting? It's the Father's will. He loves you. It's the Father's will that he joyfully gives his son to be tortured and die and, and by, to raise again, conquering our sin. It's the will of the Father that his son bear this load and pay the price and to be able to later give us eternal life as a gift because we can never earn it. It's impossible. But he joyfully can't wait for the next moment in time. It won't be B.C., <laughs> A.D., it will be eternity. <laughs> a moment in time where the earth and the heavens and everything in it, the heavens and the earth, this entire universe melts with a fervent heat. And then God makes a new heavens and a new earth. It's not just the angels watching him while he does this, but it's us. We get to be there and sing a part of the choir and the glorious new, the new creation. In 1 John 4, 9, this is the love of God was manifested towards us, towards you, towards me, towards us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In 1 John 4, 10, this is love. Not that we love God. We were enemies, remember? We are weak. We were hateful people but that he loved us. This is love, that he loved us when we were unlovable, when we were enemies, when we were unbelieving, when we were atheists, when we were lustful and angry and greedy and self-centered and self-seeking. He still loved us when we were the ugliest, unlovable creatures on the earth. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I want to read that again, First John 4.10. This is love. Not that we love God but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here's our final verse this morning. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. But the what? Gift of God is eternal life in or through Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the greatest gift of all. And no greater gift can ever be given. Unto us, a child was born. Unto us, a son was given. The angel says, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For this day is born to you in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Don't be afraid. God, 2,021 years ago, gave his only begotten son that you can have the gift of eternal life, not perish. All the condemnation of you, who you are, and your nature, and your past, and your sins we do now, and the ones we'll struggle with tomorrow. He gave us as a gift eternal life, eternal forgiveness, eternal acceptance. Through his love, we're more than conquerors, nor things present, 
There are things in the past or the future, things yet to come can never separate us. Principalities, all the spiritual beings cannot keep us from receiving God's gift and eternal life. Nor things on earth, man, your family, you, <laughs> condemning yourself. Nothing can never separate us from the love of Christ that he has for us. Lord, we thank you for today. Stopping us in our tracks. We, like the thief on the cross, somehow our hearts were touched. Somehow in the midst of an unbelieving, rejecting world that blows my mind, just like that thief on the cross, everybody around him almost, except for a handful of women, were spewing such negative, hateful things at Jesus. But yet this thief on the cross, just like us in the midst of an atheistic, socialistic, communistic, religious world, the religious people hated you. But somehow, like the thief in the midst of all of this, our hearts became tender. We, we felt the guilt of our sin. We felt the weight of our own sinful, wicked, lustful nature, and it smashed us. And we said, we need a savior. And we found out that God loves us and sent a savior, his only begotten son. This unique person, 100% God, 100% man that could be our substitute and take the sin of everybody away. We believe, Lord. If you're here today or you're listening online, just look to Jesus on the cross and believe. The thief looked at Jesus. He looked at the serpent on the pole, so to speak. And he realized this Jesus full of love and kindness. And he is not dying because he's guilty. He is dying because our guilt is upon him. Jesus, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. The Bible says God is rich to all who call upon his name. And the Bible says you can call upon his name in your heart. He who believes in his heart that Jesus is Lord. And God's raised him from the dead. Not will be saved, is saved. Do you believe that? Then just say, Jesus, be my Lord. Through your death and your resurrection. And bearing my sins, I believe that you are the Savior. You are the Christ, the, of the creator of this world. That you are God himself who came into this creation and bore the sin of this creatures that you created, this sinful man, because this is not the end of the story. There's a new heavens, a new earth, a fresh start in our brand new bodies with no devil, no demons, no sinful men who speak evil, but a totally righteous earth with a righteous heaven, with people that just love you and want to serve you and walk the way you would have us to walk. Lord, encourage all the Christians here today that you got them in their hand. You got them in your hand. You'll never let them go. The father on the right, the son on the left, so to speak, and all eternal, powerful beings who said, I'll never let you go. It's the father's will that all who come unto the son, he will raise up on the last days. We thank you for your love. It's an eternal grip. We thank you for your acceptance. It never stops. 
We thank you for the cleansing of our sins. It never ceases. You, as our husband, continue to wash us and cleanse us in the water of the word. Thank you. We give you our lives today, Lord. In Jesus' name.